folks. Well, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, so thanks for joining us this week. Uh, Rec Poker is a free community of uh, poker lovers. We study the game. We study together. We try and play against each other in the home games. We post in the forums. We join each other on the podcast. We just love poker. We're recreational players. We love sharing our love of poker with the world. And so I'd encourage everyone, if you're enjoying the show, and if you have, or if you just like poker and hanging out with fun people, head on over to www.rec.poker and sign up for a free account right now. All it takes is an email address and a smile. That's right. It is a free poker learning community. So we have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and Running Aces and, and Website Amp is our other sponsor, the one and only website, Mark. Um, between the two of them, we get to do a lot of this stuff for free. Uh, we also do have a premium membership program. And if folks want to get in, involved with some of our more advanced training materials, uh, some of our enhanced social community activities and things like that, you can use the code RECPOKER to get your first month for only $5. And it's only $15 a month after that. And I guarantee you that is the best value available in the poker market. So um, my name's Jim Reed. I've got the best job in the world. I get to hang out here with Wrecking Crew members every week and talk about poker strategy. If you'd like to learn more about me or the other members of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just hear about them here, uh, starting with John Somsky. I'm John Somsky, and I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Pat Bat, Pat Bat 33 in most places, Fergie 56 in the home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman 50 just about everywhere. And uh, every week, we love it when our premium members come and join us in the conversation for our uh, forums edition of the podcast. So Stu and John are here this week, and I hope that they uh, are able to weigh in on uh, something as we get through it. Stu and John have been great, prolific uh, participants, not only in the forums, but also in a lot of our training conversations that we've had here at Rec Poker over the last while. So it's great to have you in the room. Thanks, fellas. So it's Monday night. We're playing in the play money home game on Poker Stars. We're stealing each other's chips. And just like we do every Monday night, we're taking a post from the Rec Poker forums and we're going to talk about it here on the air. Uh, so this week, we're looking at a post uh, by Chris Jones, the one and only, called Tricky Hand. And it's a really good name for this post because uh, this, this post is about a hand where he's dealt King Jack offsuit on the button. And uh, faces an uh, early position open raise. So we're going to talk about a few things today. In typical forums podcast tradition, we might not actually get to the meat of what Chris originally posted about, but it brought up a really interesting conversation in our group here before we started recording. So King Jack is just one of those hands. There's so many things you could say about this kind of hand. It's an implied odds nightmare hand. It's the kind of hand where you're going to get reverse implied odds. It's the kind of hand where you're typically going to lose a big pot or win a small pot. Uh, it's the kind of hand where you're going to have the second best hand a lot. Um, unless you flop two pair, you're not going to like a lot of flops. Either you're going to flop a king high, a king a pair of kings with a jack kicker or a pair of jacks with a king kicker. And you're going to be in that middle ground of not knowing if you have a value hand or not. Um, so this is just one of those tricky hands. And position matters a lot. Stack depth matters a lot. And the position of the other players matters a lot, too, in their range. And that's even before we even get post-flop. So I think for the group tonight, we'll kind of just talk about pre-flop um, some of the hand qualities and characteristics and some of the factors at the table that might allow us to, to choose to play this hand in some circumstances and not in others. So one of the things we talked about, and I know Kim Kilroy has got a couple different uh, solver outputs up there that we can get into a, li a little later talking about sort of the must-dos or must-do-nots when it comes to this. Solvers are great at having those absolute rules. Um, but I'll just start when I'm thinking about King Jack offsuit, it's a hand where I really don't want to play a big pot with King Jack offsuit. Um, like I said at the top, it's going to be a hand where you're, if you're playing a big pot, it's with someone who has a better hand than you do. So it's hard to win a big pot with King Jack. Uh, for the same reason, it's not going to be a hand I want to play out of position very often. Um, 
playing out of position with hands like this, a lot of offsuit Broadway hands or one pair hands, you're going to kind of find yourself in that same jail where you've, you've against part of your opponent's range, you've got a value hand, but against part of their range, you're, uh, you're drawing dead in a lot of cases. And it's just going to be hard to know where you are uh, without making some expensive mistakes with a hand like this. Um, so when it comes to how to play it, I don't know if the if the rest of the group has some ideas about sort of some rules that they have or some factors that they like to consider. Uh, I know, yeah, Rob, why don't you jump in? You got something? Well, I hate King Jack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this before we went live. I just, it's just that it's just one of those hands that are just so difficult to play. When I do end up playing it, I'm very, very careful. Mm. about the run out and how you know it affects you know my range or the strength of my hand versus his range it king jack is a is a hand and it's a lot like ace jack you know if you're sitting there facing a pre-flop raise king jack and ace jack are just kind of like their second best to those hands that those people are coming in for a raise in early position so what I like to do with those types of hands, if I'm, um, let's say I'm on the button, I have ace jack or king jack, and somebody early position raises, I'll go in for a three bet and fold to a four bet. Mm-hmm. It kind of clarifies where you're at a little bit more. You use it as a bluff. And a lot of times you're going to pick up, you're just going to pick up that bet plus the blinds. And it's, you know, it's going to be sweet. And if they do end up just calling, well, now you've you've kind of, get an idea that they're not really capped um, or they are capped. They don't have those necessarily those aces or those Kings or those Queens anymore. So now you have a little more clarity of where you are at. So I like with those types of hands, especially in position to just a three bet bluff and be happy to fold to a four bet. I, I like Rob's line of thinking. However, he did say three bet versus an early position raise. And I do not like that. Uh, I will. I would. Eat, I would just throw this hand away versus an early position raise, unless I was suited, and then I would call as a suited hand on the button, especially with when I have position post flop. Um, I think that it's a really good three betting hand, like he says. If it's a late position raise, it's a really good bluff three bet hand. Um, so, and as for opening, I mean, I often throw this out early position anyway to open and it might open from middle position on with King Jack off suit. And like I said, like I just think King Jack suited is just a better hand uh, on the button. If you're just going to call an early position raise. And I, I personally wouldn't use it to three bet bluff an early position. I would use it to three bet bluff a later position. Yeah. It's a nice candidate for um, that three bet bluff. And we've talked about this on the show before because it's got blockers to some of those really good hands that your opponent's going to have. Uh, pocket kings, ace king, pocket jacks, you know, just it being less likely that they have those hands is good for you um, when you're using it as a bluff. And I think, you know, as as Kim was saying there earlier, and just like Rob was saying, when someone opens from early position, they're going to be doing it with a very tight range. So they're going to be doing it with ace king, uh, pocket kings, ace queen, uh, king queen maybe, but they're not going to be doing it. And all those hands have you crushed. They're not going to be doing it with some of the hands that are worse than yours, like King 10, King 9, you know, Jack 8, those dominated hands. Um, you're going to be the one dominated. And so I like this idea of Rob's of using it as a bluff three bet because it makes it less likely that they have those good hands. And it, you're comfortably folding to a four bet every time because you know you're behind their four betting range. And also, like Rob says, when they call, well, now you're actually maybe even ahead of part of their range because the hands that they call with are those kinds of King 10, Queen Jack kind of hands where now you're the one that's got them pipped. So uh, just by making it that that three bet and, you know, not every time, but as, as a part of a mixed strategy, that can be really valuable. Rob? I think one thing we didn't talk about is stack depth, right? Yes. I think stack depth is important. Obviously, if you're short stack, the three bet bluff is not a preferred method of playing that hand. Good point. Um, but, and I agree hundred percent with Kim. If it was suited, I would just call, 
because it plays so much better suited. You get a lot more board coverage. You got those flush potentials and things like that. But off suit, yeah, I definitely would not play it in early position. Let's say, let's just say we're 100, 100 big blinds deep. We're sure. At the beginning of the tournament, right at the beginning. Um, King Jack is that, that hand that I'm going to fold into early to mid position and not really start doing anything with it in, in a race first in spot until probably the hijack or the cutoff. Yeah. Um, so I'm expecting my opponents to do that also, but depending on the, the field you're in, you might have some people that are going to get splashy. Um, then, then you may, you know, you may want to use that as a deep stack, as a three bet bluff. Yep. I like that. And, you know, as we, as we always say, they're not making any more good hands. They're not making any more aces and Kings and Queens and ace King. So if you want to be three betting, with a wider range or with a polarized range, then you have to choose not good hands to do it. And then you should be choosing hands like this that have a bit of a blocker value, that have some playability when called because they can make that Broadway straight, which is the nuts, and that's awesome. Um, But that you're also comfortable uh, folding to a four bet, Um, which is, I think, why some of those stronger hands might actually even play better as a call uh, because you don't have to worry get be- about getting blown off your equity. Even the King Jack suited hand that these guys are talking about here, um, you can actually call with that because you don't want to get four bet. If you do three bet, you can actually see a flop. That suitedness, listen, it only makes a difference of 3% to the equity of the hand, but it puts you in a position of being able to play it with uh, a lot more uh, options on the flop when you can add a flush draw or a back door um, to it, Um, especially if your opponent's going to be that sort of face-up player that is not continuing a lot from out of position. So, you know, King-10 offsuit is actually my least favorite hand, Rob, uh, which is like one pip worse than this one, but they're cousins and like they get along really well. And I don't like either one of them. I wouldn't invite either one of those cousins over for Thanksgiving dinner, uh, at my house. I don't, I don't want to play with either one of those bums. Forget it. Um, what about if you were in the blinds, would that change? How? So let, let's, we'll talk about a few different stack sizes and scenarios here. Um, but we're saying if you're a hundred big blinds deep and you're on the button, it's one of those spots where maybe you play it as a three bet bluff occasionally against some opens. Um, maybe it's a call sometimes against some opponents, but I mean, to me, it, it feels like it's either just a folder or, or a three bet bluff in a lot of cases at that stack depth. At, the, yeah, at that deep a stack depth, that deep a stack depth, I think that it is a fold. Yeah from all positions versus an early position raise. Ah, yes, yes. Because that early position raise, as we're talking about, that range is so tight that there's not a lot of extra combos in there that you can get them to fold out with your three-bet bluff, right? You might not even have a three-bet bluffing range against that tight range. It's it's kind of counterintuitive. People think that, oh, I have 100 big blinds. I have King Jack. I, I want to see a flop. It doesn't cost me much. I can just call here in the blinds and see a flop. But you stand to lose a lot more. Mm-hmm. And as you get shorter, like under 50 big blinds, now it's a call because now you don't stand to lose as much. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's counterintuitive. But it's like now you can realize your equity more when you're shorter stacked, right? So if you can get it in eat more easily hitting top pair um, and that sort of thing when you're short stacked, but when you're deep stacked, you don't want to just get it in with one top pair and a medium kicker, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, you just don't. You will, so, and, and, yeah. 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 No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and when, when you're deep stacked, you really want to be playing hands that can make the nuts. Uh, you're really, because the, mistakes that you make with a deep stack behind you are more expensive than the mistakes that you make with a short stack behind you. Um, Fareed Jatton uh, with our premium course last year would say that the cost of confrontation is much higher uh, when you have a big stack because you've got more to lose. So you don't want to play hands like this where you're going to end up with the second best hand a lot and not know that that is the case. And I, Kim got at this point really well just now talking about realizing your equity. You know, poker is a a multi-street game, 
And if you want to really get the most out of your hand, if you want to maximize your actual equity, then you're going to have to make decisions on future streets uh, according to where you are in the decision tree. This, this doesn't sound very good, but trust me, I'm getting there with this. So the, um, when you're playing a hand like King Jack offsuit, you're going to under-realize your equity because you're not, you're not going to have the confidence to, to get the chips in. Um, you're going to be full overfolding. Hopefully you should be because you don't have a very good hand. And so you're going to kind of only capture part of the equity of that hand. It's not just, it's just not a good candidate to get all to, to realize all of its equity when you're deep stacked, deep stacked like that. Um, whereas a hand like a pocket pair or a suited ace or something where you can play it more aggressively too, uh, that's part of it as well. Cause when, when you flop a flush draw and you shove with your nut flush draw, you're, you're realizing your equity as it were, whether they call or fold, if they call, you're going to go to showdown and you're going to see, and if they fold, then they're the one that didn't realize their equity. If you're in a position uh, where you're going to be playing the kind of hand where you're just folding a lot when you don't hit gin on later streets, you're basically going to be overfolding this due to the strength of the hand. And you're probably better off just folding it preflop, like Kim says. So I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And Kim, you were saying when you get shorter stacked, it actually plays more as a call on the button. Uh, yeah, a call or a raise in some spots. Um you can raise some of the time and call some of the time. And is it is it a raise with the intention to fold or is it a shove? I guess it depends well, yeah, on the stacks. Yeah, well, if again, you raise but... if you raise with it, you're folding to an all in because right. it's going to be an all in. It's yes. because when you're shorter stacked, the 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 four bet is going to come as an all in. Yes. Right. It's not going to be a four bet most of the time. Not a four bet bluff. So also, it's if easy you're fifty. Yeah, 50 or less blinds is probably going to be an all-in for a four-bet. Yeah. When you're starting with 50 blinds or less. Yeah. And so we can make a three-bet and still plan to fold to a shove uh, with with some hands in our range. Right. We're not saying you should make a three-bet, but you can make a three-bet yeah. to some degree some of the time with that yeah. hand. Yeah. But it likes to call uh, in position more at like 30 big blinds than it does at 100 big blinds. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, so at 30 big blinds, it's almost a complete call. Yep. Um, it becomes a mixed strategy at 40 and 50 big blinds. Interesting. Interesting. And then uh, is it? And then at it, higher big blinds, it becomes a fold. Right. <laughs> and then probably at shorter, it becomes a shove. At, no, at shorter, it becomes a fold. A fold again against that early position raise. Right. So under under 20, it becomes a fold again. I, I find this part of poker so interesting. So if you think about like the, the right way to play this hand, and again, just in a vacuum. So we're just talking about in this vacuum of we're on the button, someone makes an early position raise. At 100 big blinds, it's saying that hand isn't good enough. You're going to get reverse implied odds. You should probably just fold that hand. As you get down to 50, it says, okay, well, you can three bet sometimes, but actually you can call it sometimes too, because now maybe you can stack off with a pair. As it gets a little uh, shorter, it's like, oh, no, just call. You know, you can just get one pair and stack off here. And then as you get shorter again, it's like, no, 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 you want to fold again. We don't even want to be playing this hand for stacks right now um, because it's it's a second best hand. Yeah. So what that teaches us all is poker is hard. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's true. It's true. And there's so many factors to be considering in every given spot, right? Like, I think it trips me up all the time just because I don't know which factors to emphasize in my own reasoning. You know, you've got one minute to make this decision. And so you're like, okay, well, I got to think about chip stack. I got to think about position. I got to think about what their opening range was. I got to think about where we are in the tournament and should I be preserving my stack or going for it here? Um, all these kind of like soft elements of the hand. Um, that and it, let's, it, let's bring into the equation something that we haven't even, which is profiling the player. Mm -hmm. We have a player that's opening way too much. We should be three betting more with yes. that hand. Yeah. Versus calling. If we have a player that is hardly ever opening, we should be folding more. Yep. 
So we, we have to be also be able to profile our players and yep. play, adjust our play accordingly. Yep. That's another one of those factors that we have to sort of decide which ones to prioritize when, when we're thinking about that. Rob, did you have something else there? Well, I was going to say, we should be thinking about that before the hand starts. Good point. Position of your of the tournament, what's your stack size, and what are the player profiles that you're playing against? Yeah. Now, early in a tournament, you're probably not going to know. You're probably just going to have to say, okay, this is the population tendencies are very, they're very wrecked. So they're going to have kind of a middling range. They're not going to really have specific ranges. They're not going to play specifically tight or specifically loose for for a while at the beginning of the tournament. And so once you get into the tournament for a while, then you're going to understand how the different players are playing. So all of that should be done before the hand is even dealt. It's a great point, Rob, because there are those things that you can only think about when the hand has started. But a lot of this stuff you can really have figured out before the cards get dealt that hand. Um, and also, you know, I think Rob's getting at this too, like the stack sizes of all the other players at the table. We talk about this all the time. Like you you use that part of your brain while you're not actually in the middle of a hand because when it does become time to make those decisions, you want to have all that stuff straight sorted out in the back of your head so that you can just focus on the very specific nuances of this hand that you're battling with. I don't know how many times I've been at a table. Let's say I'm on the button and I haven't even looked at my cards yet and I... I'm watching the action go by and I know if this player does this, then I'm going to react this way. If this player does this, I'm going to react a different way. And you can basically, based on the types of players that you're playing against, have a kind of a different response based on what your what cards you have in front of you and what range you're representing. Yep. And a lot of that stuff, you can really get to the point where without looking at your cards, you can say, okay, well, if I don't have jacks plus, I'm just folding here. And then, and then you look at your cards and you see pocket tens and you're like, I said Jack's plus, but, and then you find out who you are as a poker player. <laughs> you decided you were going to fold those pocket tens earlier. You know, but A lot of things I read say that if you're one pip off, it doesn't make that big of a difference in your equity. That's probably true. <laughs> That's probably true. A little, a little license to <laughs> stretch that a little. I like that. Um, just makes a small pip in your equity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just a small, it's just a, a weed. small, it's a smidgen of the equity <laughs> that you're going to lose by playing those tens the way you would have played those jacks. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> so if you do, keep doing that recursively, then you end up playing do seven off suit like it's aces. And that's exactly, it's only just a pip away. Just one more pip. Come on. Tens to nines was okay. You, now I can't play seven, two off suit. What? And then all of a sudden you're playing King Jack off suit in a hundred big blind deep pot on the button to an early position raise. Oh, you don't want to do that gang. You do not want to do that. Yep. <laughs> so are there other, are there other like cusp hands in that spot that we want to talk about in that early position raise? We're on the button, hundred big blinds deep, and we don't know much about the opponent. Cause I think King Jack is kind of that, that cusp hand. I think like King Queen, Ace Jack, like you were saying, Rob, um, Ace 10, you know, those are all kind of similar hands where you're ahead of some, but you're not doing great against the value part of their range. What about a hand like Pocket Eights or something like that? Yeah, well, Kim? Yeah, no, let's talk about the suited kings. Okay. Because I think we want to play the suited kings way more. Uh, and the solvers want us to play the suited kings down to like King Eight yep. suited. And then sometimes raising some of those. So yep. it, it makes so much more of a difference um, opportunity to play suited hands. And we're all like taught way back when that suited only makes 3% difference or whatever it was. But it makes a lot of difference because now in poker's today's game, it's all about backdoor stuff. So yep. you hit one of your card on the flop, you can play it more aggressively than... Um, back in the day where it was just, oh, I don't hit like the nuts or the nut flush or whatever and I can't play. So that makes a difference, playing suited. So, and as for, I think, pocket eights, you're always going to play them. I think pocket sevens and down, it's going to be maybe sometimes, but yeah. Yep. 
I think I struggle a lot in that situation with those types of hands, understanding, should I be raising here or should I just be calling? Calling seems so weak, especially when you're on the button uh, against an early position. It's like, you know, you got your pocket eights. You don't really want to raise with them because, you know, the early position guy can have that so crushed. Um, but at the same time, then when you call, you go, well, geez, I just told them I got pocket eights. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, it's so, it's such a, a weird spot to be in. So bottom line is when you're in those types of, of situations is to, um, if you're going to call, just be very careful. Mm-hmm. Don't get carried away with the strength of your hand in a vacuum. Make sure you're understanding the ranger against and the the board what does a board look like obviously if you spike an eight you're you're doing a happy dance you're jumping around your chair you're you know you're (laughs) you're having a good time you're throwing your chips in the middle everything is great but if you don't get that eight and you get a couple of overcards, you got to be very very careful how you play that hand and don't overvalue that hand Mm -hmm. you know make sure that you understand that all you have right now really is a bluff catcher if the you know if the flop comes queen 10 7 um you're hoping that he has ace queen because you're you're ahead right now <laughs> so when you face that c bet you're hoping that he has ace queen um and but it basically it's just a bluff catcher you can't get real aggressive with it and then to something kim said about the suited cards and then some going back to what you said about equity realization i think that you know there's not a lot of equity difference between a suited hand and an unsuited hand, but the ability to realize that equity with a suited hand is much greater when you can see one or two of your suit on the board. It gives you a lot more ability to actually realize the equity of the hand. I think that's a great point. Kim, did you have something there? No, just that um, sometimes I would, say it's a good idea to three bet eights on the button because now you can take a lot of flops away from the early position raiser. Yep. Um, If you haven't been four bet, now you've probably got, they probably don't have aces or kings and probably, probably not ace king. So on an ace high king five flop, you can still play it more as a C bet for, and you don't even have to play it as, as a big C bet. Um, and it gives you an extra chance to win with your pocket eights versus. Yeah. And, so, and I that's... mean, I don't mind sometimes three betting pocket eights on the button or, or in the cutoff or whatever. Like I think that sometimes they play well as, as a three bet, but I don't think it should be every time. Right. So. And that, and that's a good point too. Um, and I know Rob was getting at this earlier about sort of like board dependent. Um, you know, sometimes we think about you're going to get to certain flops with pocket eights and it's going to be a value bet and you're going to get on other flops with pocket eights and it's going to be a bluff. So knowing what the purpose of your action is, is a really key part of it. Like when you three bet with pocket eights, that's a value raise that you're making. Um, you're not blocking any of the good hands that you're trying to get your opponent to fold and you run the risk of, you know, having to fold to a four bed if, if that's the way the stacks, uh, go, uh, as opposed to a hand like King Jack, again, is what we're, what we're talking about earlier, where you are definitely bluffing, you're trying to get folds. And when you get to the flop, it means that your bluff didn't work. And so now you have to kind of have a different approach to your hand. Uh, because you're not trying to win a big pot with with that hand, which is, yeah, that that's where the real poker gets played. I think sometimes we get attached to hands because we we bluffed with them pre-flop, and then we're like, oh, well, I'm telling a story that I've got pocket aces here, so I should keep telling that story. And there's an element of truth to that, but the fact is, you actually don't need to bluff all the way through a hand at the same high frequency on every street. Like you should be, you should be mixing your bluffs and your value hands differently from street to street, depending on, um, 
the action and and we maybe that's a whole other podcast that we could do an episode on sometime making making that mix of value hands and bluff hands depending on what kind of size you want to make your bets and raises that's i think that's its own podcast <laughs> right and and it's 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 important to realize that when you're three betting your eights on the button versus an under the gun raise you're three bet bluffing and you're trying to get hands like ace queen offsuit ace jack offsuit king queen or king jack suited all of those hands that have good equity against your eights to fold right so that's what you're trying to make happen when you three bet eights versus a cutoff raise mm-hmm. you're three betting eights is value yeah <laughs> so it's it's important to sort of recognize all of those parts of a hand right yeah, there's definitely that late position player is going to have a lot more combos of hands in their opening range that they're going to fold to your raise. So it it's going to have that effect. Um, it's going to have the effect of 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 being a value raise. Was that something, John? Is that something that we talked about in a forums post a while ago? That um, it's a value bet if it gets called by worse and it's a bluff if better folds. It's like doesn't really matter what you plan for it. It's just how how it gets. I think that was right. I think that was John uh, posting that in, in the forum. When and we, I, you know, Michael Acevedo talks about you don't bet for value or a bluff. That's the result. Right. You bet to either um, realize your equity or deny your opponent's equity is is basically the reasons that you bet. And the results is either you bet for value or you bet for bluff. <laughs> that's a bluff. Yeah. I think so that it's is, a different way of looking at it. But. I think that's a good way of thinking about it because ultimately, like, you know, your opponent has this entire range of hands and you're ahead of some of them and you're behind others. So they're going to, you know, you play this hand a million times against them. They're going to respond differently with every hand in that range. And against some of them, it's going to end up, it's going to end up being a value bet. And against some of them, it's going to end up being a bluff. Uh, so the best thing for us is when they can fold a better hand. That's just always the best thing for us. We, if if some if we can get someone to fold a better hand than ours, then that's that's good good work done work well done by us. So I guess that's another reason why we might choose to call with a hand like Ace Jack suited, um, but three bet with a hand like Ace Ten offsuit or something like that because or King Queen or King Jack or something like that because Ace Jack. The better hands are not going to be folding. It's going to be hard to get ace queen, ace king, uh, the big pocket pairs to fold. So when you're three betting with ace jack, it's kind of like a weird middle of your range, your value range kind of three bet. If you're three betting with ace king, you're hoping to get called by worse, like ace queen, Um, maybe even by ace jack. But and if you three bet with ace 10 offsuit, you know, ace jack offsuit might fold. Um, but that's why hands like ace five suited are such a good candidate for this three bet, uh, especially when you're in position and deep stacked, because you still get that blocker value. You still get some of that playability post flop. You know, you're behind when they four bet, so you can comfortably fold, right? Those are the three things we were talking about and people will fold better hands. If someone does open a six, a seven, a eight, a nine, a 10, they're probably folding those to that three bet. So you'd be more inclined to call with some of those better aces, keep those hands in their range uh, so that you can beat them post-flop and three-bet with those weaker hands like that as well. I have a question for you. You three-bet, they four-bet. How quick do you push the fold button or (laughs) in a live tournament throw your cards in? Do you pretend like you had a really tough decision or do you just automatically just throw the cards in? I'll that's be honest just, with that's I, a meta game thing, right? I, I, it is, but it, it, I have a real answer for me, it, especially if it's early in the tournament. I don't want my opponents to know that I have a range of hands that I open with expecting to fold. So I never insta fold when they raise because I I almost want them. I almost want to be like, oh, well, what am I going to do now? You know, uh, because. Even just the notion of having a hand, oh, I'm going to three bet this and fold to a raise, you're already kind of outing yourself as someone who has thought at, a, at at least a certain level of sophistication about what your what the purpose of raising is, you know, and that kind of stuff. Thinking about ranges, oh my god! 
So I, I honestly, I do wait. I do wait a couple seconds and I just like, uh, oh, well, I guess you got it this time and toss them in. I can uh, verify the fact that it's no, no. a couple of seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, sometimes I take a little longer, Kim, if I have a real decision to make. <laughs> well, it like depends I, on your opponents too, I think. You know, it depends yeah. on where you're playing. If you're playing your home game with a bunch of, of your people that know who you are and what you do, why why bother delaying just throw yeah. it away they know you're gonna they know you're doing it sometimes yeah um but it like you say an early in a tournament especially a live tournament you don't want to you don't want people to to know that you're three betting and then immediately folding yeah yeah and it's the same for post-flop stuff too i just you just don't want to have any of those check raise slash insta fold or c bet slash insta fold because uh, it just it shows a level of sophistication that i don't think you need to advertise except for when the that old guy <laughs> you know that that <laughs> raised in early position yep and you're sitting over there on the button with your king jack and you three bet and then he goes all in and you you immediately muck and look at your neighbor and just nod your head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But I'll tell you, if that old guy is paying attention, he better sneak in a little ace five suited next time because that's the other thing. You do that auto muck. And you're kind of you're kind of putting it. It's It's not not in his his DNA. DNA. Can't do it. Not his DNA. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, Well, and that's a great point, Rob. Because honestly, like against certain players that aren't going to vary their style according to new information at the table, then I think you have to be worried a lot less about balance and disguise and that kind of stuff because it's just not going to be as as important as it is to a thinking player who's going to really take you apart and 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 you know think about your play as opposed to the play of the other players at the table Um, because those thinking players you don't every piece of information you give them is a weapon they can use against you so Mm -hmm. uh, i do think there's something for that yeah it's an easy it's an easy snap fold versus a hundred big blind all bet uh, all in four bet but right it's a, it's, you got to think about it till the men click back by the pro and the, yes, <laughs> under the gun race. <laughs> yep. That's right. That's right. So, what are some other, um, what should we, I don't want to take this conversation too long, but I, I think it's an interesting one. Um, what are some of the other factors that we might consider? So, we've been talking about in position against an early position raise, pretty deep stack. We've talked about how, um, different stack depths might affect our decisions. We've talked about how the suitedness or some of the hand characteristics. Uh, what if we were in the blinds and it's the same action, early position raise coming around to us. So the two differences are now, A, we're going to be out of position and, and B, we're kind of getting a better price on whatever we choose to do. We can call for a bit of a discount or we can three bet for a bit of a discount. Um Specifically, Kim and Rob, do you have any, because you've been taking a lot of the conversation about this in position, when you're out of position, how does that change things? Uh, when you're deep stacked, I think you're folding a lot more. Yep. Um, I think you're all, all folding a lot more from the small blind versus the big blind. I think like in, when you're in the big blind, you're um, you're calling a lot of suited hands and things like that. I'm not sure of the exact range. Um I, I, I think King I'm Jack off is shorter. probably a call. I think it's a fold. I, it's, it's, no, it I don't know. That's why we're talking about it because that you know, cusp hand is right in the middle. Yeah, I love but it's so, you're uh, defending in, the big blind against whatever position. You're defending at almost fifty five percent of the hands. Right. If King Jack isn't in that group, I don't know what is. King Jack is not in that group at hundred big blinds deep. What really? what what's the percentage? King Jack offsuit. The, what's the lowest? What's the, the lowest offsuit hand is ace jack offsuit that you're defending. Really? In the big blind. No. Wow. I'm talking a hundred big blinds deep. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. All. Really? We're all still even that fallacy of having all these chips and we can afford to take a shot and you know, but if we take it to 75 big blinds, which is much more common deep stack than tournament, we're hardly ever over a hundred big blinds sure, deep. Sure. Now we're defending almost all suited hands and offsuit down to king nine, ace eight offsuit. Huh. So 
you, you got to realize when I say that it's, it's very rare that we're in that spot and right. much more common that we're less than a hundred big blinds. And now we're defending really widely in the big blind. So and especially Kim- in a tournament where we have the ante in play. So there's more, we should be defending more when we. Oh, have that's a good point. Because early in the tournament, when chips st- when chip stacks are deep, it tends to be before the antes have been introduced. So the mm-hmm. pots are less worth stealing. So mm-hmm. you should be playing with a narrower range. Um, Kim, what are some of the hands? So let's say at a hundred big blinds, we're in the big blind, and we see an open from early position. I also thought King Jack would be one of those. Let's hit a flop hands. What are some of the worst hands that aren't the offsuit aces like what what's what's the i'm uh, yeah i'm i like i'm like rob i thought our total calling range would be wider there as a as a percentage what's the what's the total percentage that we're supposed to be defending in that i don't i don't know Mm. for sure i don't have that up i have 75 big blinds and then i have i have 100 but it's cash so there's no anti involved oh right it's somewhere in between the 75 and the 100 somewhere in between so yeah. if I was going to guess, I would say maybe King Ten offsuit some of the time, in that, and King in Jack that, offsuit some of the time, yeah. but not all the time. And this is in that seventy-five percent, seventy-five big blind range is is what you're saying? It, well, in the seventy-five, yes, in the seventy-five big blind for sure. We're at, we're, but if you're saying a hundred big blinds, I think it's somewhere that those cusp pans might King. King nine, King ten, yep. King Jack. Some of those fall off. Yep, no, but it's somewhere sense. when we get to seventy five that they are in there as a defend. And we are talking before we started recording. Uh, we are talking about this. The solver often will put out a mixed strategy where it's like fold seventy four percent of the time, call twenty four percent of the time, and three bet two percent of the time. When we look at that as recreational players, we mostly just say, okay, just fold. It's it's mostly saying fold. So you can work about, you know, you can call sometimes if you want. You can three bet sometimes if you want. But mostly it's going to be a fold. Sometimes they have a solver output that's like 55% you bet this size and 45% you check. That's truly a mixed strategy. Um, but something like this where it says you should just mostly be folding hands like this. That's, you know, oh, that's one other good point. Don't worry about over folding these cusp hands. Because the amount of EV that you will gain by playing them correctly all the way through the hand is pretty small. The amount of EV that you will lose by playing it incorrectly is much bigger than that. And when you fold, all you give up is that little bit of uh, of EV that you would have gotten from playing a cusp hand perfectly. And so you're just not giving up that much by turning that opportunity down. Right. That that's a folding mistake. Folding mistakes are generally going to be good mistakes to make in spots like this where you're just declining to take uh, a marginal hand and try and wrest the most possible EV out of that bad hand. Um just you, you, I really encourage people to just fold, pick a better spot. We don't we we, right. we don't know we don't know how to make the most out of that hand anyway. We're more likely to misplay it than to play it perfectly. So you're not giving up that much by passing. Right. And and I want to. I know I've said this before, probably more than once. <laughs> but <laughs> don't bet half pot. No. Oh yeah, never want to uh, do that. Not that. But what I wanted to say was, it's really counterintuitive because when you have lots of chips, you want to defend your big blind widely, but just fold. Yep. And as you get shorter, start defending your big blind wider and wider. And as you get quite short, like 30 big blinds, less than 30, you should be defending almost everything you're dealt to in the big blind versus one razor. So it's 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 counterintuitive to what people want to do. They have 100 big blinds, 200 big blinds to start a tournament. They just want to defend everything in the big blind. And you should just be folding almost everything in the big blind. And then as you get shorter, you should just defend almost everything that's suited and most of your other. And I, I would suggest people look at the 
at the charts to sort of get an idea before they go and play a big tournament Mm -hmm. of where you're defending your big blind, because you're going to be mostly in hands in either late position or in the big blind. So like sort of learn those hands and learn those ranges before you go play. Yep. And, and note that Kim's not just talking about King Jack offsuit here. We're talking about your entire range when you're deep stacked. You should be defending less at a hundred. You should be defending the big blind with fewer hands at a hundred big blinds than you should at 50. Um, because the at being out of position post-flop with a second best hand, you're just more likely to lose chips than to win them uh, against that stronger range that's going to be playing in position against you with a stronger uh, range and often also with the uh, initiative on their side. So it's it's just a Look, any poker hand can flop two pair. Any hand, well, not the pocket pairs. Most hands can flop two pair. And so if if your theory is, I'm just going to call with this hand because every once in a while I can flop two pair and really put one up on my opponent, you really should be doing that with every hand. Like now you've like that ceases to become a meaningful variable now. Because literally every hand but pocket pairs can flop two pair. So if you're ever saying to yourself, oh, but if I flop two pair, boy, I'm going to really ring it up on them here. Well, then you then you should look. It shouldn't matter what two cards you have in your hand. Um, so then you got to then you got to go to the next level and be like, OK, well, since I could always flop two pair, let's get a little more detailed about what is it about this hand that makes it a good candidate for this action that I want to take. And, you know. When you're in the big blind, when you're going to be out of position, deep stacked, it's it's not going to be a lot of those. It's not going to be a lot of those second best hands. So, so what kind of characteristics do we want to play in spots like that, gang? Probably things like suited aces, like we were talking about, hands that can make the nuts, pocket pairs where we're going to have really easy decisions, even out of position post flop where we either hit a set or we didn't. Um, some suited connectors are nice to play in that way because you're going to get a lot of different ways to play your hand. But again, you're going to be, you know, if you're playing against an early position raise, there's always that danger of you having six, seven of hearts and they've got ace, queen of hearts. Um, it's a lot easier to get flushed over flushed when, when you're playing out of position with those, with those smaller, smaller holdings. I just think that one of the things you need to always be aware of if your opponent is willing to put a lot of chips in the middle, mm-hmm. they more than likely have a hand. Yeah. And if your hand is is second pair or top pair weak kicker, um, I would not get married to it. I would <laughs> say I think I might look for a better spot because he's willing to put a lot of chips in the middle. Um, it's very easy for him to have a hand that has you dominated. Yep. And I see a lot of people. Um, go down to the river because they just don't believe they can't believe that they finally hit a hand you know they hit they hit something they they made a part of a hand you know a top pair or a middle pair and a good kicker and it's just i can't believe that he has a better hand than me i'm gonna i'm gonna find out and you know if they put a lot of money in the middle they they have a better hand than you and you just lost a lot of chips yep it's true uh i was i'm working with uh, one of my coaching clients earlier today and we were looking at some of the ways that their winnings are expressed through different hand strengths. And it, it just reminded me how, so most players, when you look at all the different absolute hand values, you could have at showdown, uh, a Royal flush, a straight flush, four of a kind, a full house, every player, when they're, when they end up with those hands, they are winning. They may not win every time they get a full house. Sometimes they'll have the smaller full house, but in their lifetime, playing full houses and quads and straight flushes, they are a winning player when they have those hands. Obviously, they're very strong hands and they're hard to beat. A lot of players are also going to be winning players when they have three of a kind, straights, flushes, two pair, because those beat a lot of hands. So most players are winning players when they have those strong hands. It, it This might be counterintuitive, but one pair... If, if you're a player that goes to showdown with one pair, a lot of the time, a lot of the, a lot of the databases that I look at, 
players are a losing player with one pair of hands in their entire history of every time they've played a one pair of hand to showdown, they are a losing player in that spot. And it's not because the hands are any weaker than the other players who are getting to showdown with one pair. It's how they're playing their one pair hand against their opponents. And it's just like Rob is saying right now, if your opponent's shoveling chips in the middle, one pair is a losing hand. It doesn't matter how good a pair it is over pairs. If your opponent's shoving chips in the middle on Jack eight, four, and you've got a pair of aces and you bet and he raises and you re-raise and he shoves. Sorry, kid. Like you're de- you're dead. Um, so that's, we're talking deep stack. Let's yes. caveat yes. that. Yes. Good point. Good point. Yes, that's true. A hundred percent. Yeah. We've been talking hundred big blinds. So I was kind of in that vein of, yes. you know, let's not get carried away when you've got a big chip stack. Cause if they're shoveling chips into the middle, you can decimate your stack in a hurry. And, there's forum posts out there. I know I put them out there. John has put them out there. Um, we've all put those posts out there where early in a tournament, you've decimated your stack because you got carried away with a hand that you shouldn't have. Yep. Yep. And yeah, just one pair of hands. They feel strong to us. And so we play them strongly, but um, often we're, we're value owning ourselves with those one pair hands. And we should probably against certain opponents in certain spots, we should probably be treating them more like bluff catchers choosing to check back a street, you know, uh, making it a, a small ball hand. Um, just because, yeah, it's not, it's not a kind of hand that wins big pots. All right. Well, I think that was a pretty good, we found a few rabbit holes. I feel sorry for Chris because he actually had a hand that he wanted some advice on post flop. And we're not even going to, we're not even going to touch that. Sorry, Chris. When next time you want to make well, it, on I probably the show. shouldn't have played it post flop, right? That's, oh yeah. That's good point. That's, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, honestly, that's true because just like we're saying, you get into these spots post flop where to actually get your EV back out of the hand that you put in by playing it. Now you've got to make all these hard decisions. You got to actually play poker and you know, um that's hard that's hard to do it's like they were about 60 big blinds effective as it turns out so right no that's in that no-no zone i think uh john somsky did you have something there uh i was gonna make a joke but i forgot it now it was probably about chris not being good enough to get the ev out of king jack offsuit post-flop Oh no! It was actually about. Uh, I really don't think we want to make Chris any better anyway. So if we were going to give him any advice, I think we should give him bad advice. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Well, Chris, if you're listening, um, just keep keep it up. Keep up calling with that king jack on the button against that early position raise. And uh, actually, Chris is one of the people that I think probably could turn that into a winning play. But um, for the rest of our listeners out here who are not the director of membership content here at rec.poker doing all the seminars and putting a lot of our teaching material together, then I think, yeah, you're probably off just probably better off just turning that spot down. And uh, you'll trust me, they're going to keep dealing cards. You're going to get another hand uh, very soon. And that might be a better spot for you to take a shot. Well, I think we should probably roll on out of here, gang. Um, This was a really fun conversation. I I never know what we're going to talk about when I show up here, but uh, we didn't know we didn't uh, let Rec Poker Nation down on this one. I don't think that was a fun one. So, without any further ado, I got to thank Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, Uh, Chris for putting that one in the post, Uh, John and John, Rob and Stu, Kim, and all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much. See you again soon.